Welcome to Shorts, bite-sized edition. I'm Jen Thomas. I live in London, UK. And I'm Lizzie Falconer, and I'm in Portland, Oregon. We are two long-distance friends who want to talk about what we're reading. This podcast is about how reading short stories can show the world through different perspectives. Today we're reading This Is How You Fail to Ghost Him, a flash fiction piece by Victoria McCurdy. It was published in 2017 on Monkey Bicycle. In this contemporary story, our young, dating-weary narrator goes on a blind date with a man she's met on the apps. And we're doing things a bit differently today. Yes, we are. I love it when we do things a bit differently. (laughs) My adrenaline (laughs) is pumping. (laughs) It's a bite-sized episode. What does that mean, Jen? Why are we doing a bite-sized episode? Because some short stories are very, very, very short, and they are pieces of flash fiction, and it means that they are incredibly kind of tightly woven, petite stories, much shorter than what we normally read. And so I'm assuming that our discussion will also be much shorter than we normally uh, do. But actually, to be fair, we could talk for days. So (laughs) strap in. Hopefully this will be bite-sized. (laughs) That's our goal. Our goal is bite-sized. And I think one of the things we we wanted to do with these bite-sized episodes is talk about flash fiction. And there's so much interesting writing that happens in the flash fiction sphere. Usually that's about under 1500 words, but definitions vary about what flash flash fiction really is. Uh, But this is just an opportunity to bring more short stories and more interesting topics to, to people that are listening. And you know, we've had some feedback. I know that for some of you reading short stories is is quite new. It's not something you normally do. And it's quite hard when there's sort of, you know, you've got to really sit down and grapple with a with a short story that can that can still take a little bit of time. But these bite-sized episodes, the stories, they will literally take you 3 minutes, 5 minutes uh to read. And hopefully that means that you'll be able to to cram them in and jam them into some point of your day and be part of this discussion as well. So we're going to do a handful of these bite-sized episodes. They'll come in kind of in and out of the seasons um, and we hope you enjoy them. Yes, super excited. So this is our first one, Jen. And this brings one of our favorite topics to talk about, which of course is contemporary dating, modern life dating. We kicked it off with our first episode of Cat Person, but this this story is so much shorter. It's really a moment in time. I tell me what your first impressions were. So I think it's so immediate. So I just felt like, okay, boom, there's a kind of inner monologue. I'm right with her. It feels like everything that's happening is kind of crystallizing on the surface happening right now. Um, She is responsive. She's kind of, you know, the first line is like, swipe right, swipe right. And you know exactly where you are. Uh, we know that we're kind of in a dating app. We know that we're inside somebody's head. I just found it very immediate, very visceral. And I was really intrigued as to what this narrator was going to be feeling. Yeah, I love pieces of writing that capture moments in time that I feel like are so present that maybe there hasn't been a lot of writing or like cultural commentary on it yet. I mean, I know that we've all been using dating apps for 
a while now, uh, but it still feels like a really weird cultural thing. It's I know it's still hard for people, myself, uh, to manage <laughs> and figure out what the expectations are. I mean, it's just kind of like dating apps from everyone I've I know that I talk to, you and I have talked about this, are nightmares. And so anytime that I can read a story where someone's trying to capture what it feels like to be dating on the apps, I'm in. Yeah, me too. And I think it's because so much of this is recognizable if you've been on a on the dating apps. And if you haven't, I feel like it's such a specific experience of dating. It's so different to like, you know, meeting someone in a bar or meeting someone and deciding to date them who you work with. It's such a different experience to just go into the abyss and like meet somebody <laughs> <laughs> who's a total stranger that... I think if you haven't had that experience, that this story will give you a, a real insight into what that's like. Yeah. I, you think about what romance is and the stories of romance that we're raised on. And it's never like, oh, I was in bed and I'd had three glasses of wine and I was swiping through photos of random strangers on the internet. And I saw a mediocre looking person that I thought they look like they're fun. And so I swiped and then I met your father or your mother. Like, that's not the romance we dreamed of. And there's something that this author captures about, like, the kind of weariness and exhaustion that comes from trying to create a spark from this technology and just, like, trying to wade through the tech and the experience so that you can have romance. Yeah, that's exactly bang on I think and it actually is captured a little bit in this story and I, I noted this down I'm going to jump ahead and immediately throw away the chronology of the conversation <laughs> by following the story I'm going to jump right into the middle of it because she in the story um the narrator talks about exactly that. She says, um, do not under any circumstance admit the following, that you were raised on Beauty and the Beast, that you've kissed many a rough exterior searching for the glimpse of a prince, that your timetable for love is a red rose slowly losing petals under a glass. So she is, I mean, there's so much to unpack in that section, but I, I think that that idea that like, we are raised on these fairy tales that we're raised on this kind of these kind of Hollywood movies and these, you know, the literal fairy tales, the Disney princesses. And it's just not what it's like to date in on Tinder and on Bumble. It's not fireworks. It's weird and uncomfortable. And it's it's a pattern. And like the date that she goes on feels like she could be she's kind of going through the motions. I mean, she's literally hardly listening. She's talking about kind of generic conversations you have to have the getting to know you monologue. You know, oh. she's She's going through a, a repetitive cycle and it's completely jarring with that idea of the romance that we, you know, as uh, millennials were fed, were fed. I mean, the 90s was the, the decade of the rom-coms. Nobody is making a film about this. This is not, this is not a good movie uh, with a happy romantic ending. Yeah, it's, uh, it's... It's tough. And, you know, from that first paragraph, she says, Tinder, period, Bumble, period, be unable to remember which. But this younger, generically handsome boy whose face reminds you of Playmobil figure has driven from the suburbs tonight to meet you. 
And that is it. Like if you're if you've been on the dating apps for a while and you've been consistently going on dates with new people, it does get to a point where you're like, I don't remember where I met this person, what we talked about. Like you go on so many dates with people and because you don't have any like interlocking friends or things that would normally bring to you together, you go on a lot of really weird first dates that don't go anywhere. And so like this first thing that she's identifying of like, I'm on this date because I guess I want to date, but this person, she's really observing him the whole time. She's she's observing him and not really engaged at all herself in the date. She's just like looking at him and trying to understand if he's going to be trouble, if he's going to hurt her, who he is. She's trying to pick up all those clues, you know, about who he is based on his cologne, the things he's saying to her, like she's super disengaged. And I, I have been, I have been out on dates before and felt that same way too. It's almost like the first date isn't the first date. It's like you, mm -hmm. it's like you're trying to get through the first date to see if anything's going to come of a second date. So that idea that he's sort of doing this, like this all about me speech, uh, as he calls it, which is amazing. Um, the required uh, get to know you section of every first internet date. Um, and she just, she, yeah, as you say, she can't, she can't tune in and she's just wondering where it might go. And is he going to turn out to be uh, like, which way is it going to go? And she kind of maps out those different journeys of what happens after the first date. And, you know, the the options are <laughs> the options are not good like all the options that she plays out in her head while she's not listening to him are <laughs> like dead ends mm -hmm. uh, she says he will like you but you will feel a diffuse revulsion at the touch of his lips he will like you but confess he and his girlfriend are looking for a third you will like him and he will not call you will like him and then realize he's a fuckboy, which means what it means. You will not like him, but he will propose by text and lapse into vulgarity when you ghost him in response. Cat person, <laughs> cat person, cat person, cat person, Robert, 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 Robert. Uh, but it's like, those are the only options. There isn't options there, which is like, and then he turns into a prince and he'll sweep me up into his arm. You know, I mean, that is out of the window, like internet dating. She is so jaded by this that she just can't imagine where it's going to go. And I find that just really, dis like, just really disappointing. And like, of course, she's not paying attention. And then we get this twist and then I'm really into it. And at this point, I'm like, oh, love it. And she says when she starts to, um, when she starts to talk, find yourself lying and then she just invents this narrative about her life mm -hmm. what did you think about that i i mean i was like that's pretty ballsy <laughs> i i mean i'm a terrible liar uh so i don't think i'd be able to keep it up but it i think it it tells us that she's also like so bored with her life and mm. i think that first dates and online dates can be so boring because you're trying like you're literally putting yourself on this app and you're like here are the five best pictures of me i've like curated my responses so i'm funny um and then in that first person meeting you're trying to show them like i am that funny i am that attractive that you saw on the app and it's boring like the authentic connection you're also seeing if you even have that kind of spark and so she's like you know what i'm bored i'm gonna create some drama these are truly lunatic lies 
Tell him you were born at 9,000 feet on a mountain in Tasmania. Tasmania. Tell him that your intermittent vertigo ended your career as a flight attendant. Tell him you are the proud owner of four tarantulas. Stutter when he tells you that he, too, has a tarantula. Wonder what he means when he asks you if you raise your own crickets. It's off the rails. The thing I think is interesting, because I thought this passage was really funny, and it was a point where I was like, oh my goodness, I love this narrator. But I also thought it was interesting that it comes just after that sequence that I read, which is um, where she describes all the kind of dead ends of where it could go. Because I was also thinking how hard it is to be vulnerable in Mm. these dating situations, right? When you just think like, here I am again boring like first day and it's just going to end with him being a dick or me not liking him or me really liking him and not knowing and then so this sense of just like distance that she puts out right she just lies she just puts more and more distance between her and this guy there isn't any she's not trying to build a connection and I think Definitely that can come from boredom, that can come from whatever, but it could. It also, I think, is really founded in that, like, can I tell this story again? Can I tell the story of me, this genuine story of who I am, and, like, face a rejection or face a dead end or face a guy who's just an ass? Jen, I feel like you're my therapist right now <laughs> because, I, you know, honestly, it's so easy with dating apps to put a guard up mm. and to not let people get close to you because that act of looking at people on this app like they're playing cards, you know, uh, is really distancing and really depersonifying. I don't know if that's a word, but it and the behavior that comes with dating apps because you're not like close friends or whatever. People do ghost, people do leave, people act are are really rude and it can be really hard to let yourself be vulnerable when you don't even know someone. And when you're going on these first dates, the, you know, the cardinal sin around dating apps is like, do they look like their photos or have you been catfished? And there is this element of when you go on that first date, you don't want that person to look at you and automatically reject you. And there, it, it, so absolutely there is, she's keeping him at a distance. She's doing everything in her power to like suss out who he is, suss out, what could happen next? She is trying not to get hurt. Yeah, to the point where she's not listening to what he's saying. She's not telling him really who she is. And there are kind of things that she, you know, there's the line where it says that she fails to notice that he's staring at you in wonder. There's something that is happening. There is like hints of this spark and she's not even, she's just, she's, you know, she's not even able to engage with that because it's like, we know it as the reader, but she doesn't because... It's like it's part of the instruction manual of like, I'm not going to I'm not going to see this moment of connection because, you know, where is it going to go? And then when she gets home, she talks about how those apps have failed, have failed her. And, you know, this will come to nothing and you never want to communicate with this boy again. You know, she's just she's she's it's over before it's begun. And I think that just comes from a real a real um, guard that she's put around herself. And I think it really says something about what it is like to date in this way. Mm -hmm. And I'm not saying that it wasn't revealing and and vulnerable making to be dating, you know, back in the seventies or eighties or any other time. Like it's always, I'm sure been absolutely terrifying, but this is, there's such a formula to this now Mm -hmm. that 
it's it's going through the motions and you can go on as you know you can almost go on as many dates as you want but that just makes makes you just perform the same routine and that's what she's doing When I was in my early 20s, I lived in a house with four four men, boys. They were like 24, but they act, they were technically men, but acted like boys. And it was right when Tinder first came out. And so the single ones uh, had downloaded Tinder. And I remember being around them when they were like swiping through the women and the way that they were talking about the women. And it it was like a game to them. It was like... How many dates could they go on? Because it was so new, right? But it was, we were able to see, and I was able to see then, like, how it can, it can just feel like there's always someone prettier. There's always somebody better. And meeting someone in person, you know, suddenly they're real and they're not just a possibility on your phone. They're a real human person. And it's just, it's super strange, especially when you think about like dating and falling in love, which is the most vulnerable thing. It's hard. I mean, you know, back in, back in, you know, sort of talking about men in their 20s. I mean, I've done this in my mid 30s and it is a game and you can't take it seriously. And it makes us all horribly judgmental. Like I Uh went on the... (laughs) went on the apps and was like no no like who the hell am I (laughs) you know like you're just making a snap judgment based on like one tiny comment on somebody's profile or like the fact that somebody's hair looks a bit funny like what are we doing like this you know it's completely if you don't think about it like a game if you don't disassociate then we we all have to grapple with the fact that we are just being horribly judgmental (laughs) and like you know there's a sort of you know, they, they literally gamify these apps, right? Like you get, they make fun sounds and they send you notifications and they give you like, you know, there's like points if you fill out your profile fully and you get extra thing if you add your I'm vaccinated badge. Like mm-hmm. they've made, they make it into a game. We're all addicted to, to these little online behaviors and the people who build these apps know exactly what that's like. But when you just, as you say, you layer that onto like, but I'm trying to fall in love. It, it it clashes. It just clashes with what the experience, quote unquote, should be. Yeah, I, <laughs> I'm just like shaking my head. Like all these dates are flashing in front of my eyes, <laughs> and and thinking about you know the things that I've made jum- judgments about. I think one funny thing is that I have dated men and women on the apps, and the profiles are so different and what I look for is so different because men apps will have like or their profiles will have a few photos of them with their friends and then the the responses will be like what do you like doing drinking beer like hanging with my friends and then the women many of the profiles I've seen of women are like you know tell me about you and it's like I am a Pisces cancer rising Leo moon and I am interested in these 17 things and I have like the women's are so much more information than the men give. Mm. It's still hard to judge it, but it's it's really different how gendered the experience is as well um, because it just feels different. It feels like when you're creating a profile for a man to look at, it's very different than if you're creating a profile for women to look at. Um, but maybe that's for another podcast. I mean, that is a spinoff podcast and I'm here for it. <laughs> <laughs> I will be your first subscriber. 
because I want to hear all about that. That's incredible. It's stressful. It's stressful mm. because I feel like it feels like learning to date all over again. Um, but here I am, you know, doing it, have, have done it. Um, I don't know. I just, anyways, let's get off my dating conversation. Back to the date in the story. Back Um, to the date in the story. So this, I mean, Jen, can I ask you a question though? Yeah. What is your get to know me speech? Wait, are we going to go on a date right now? (laughs) This is actually a date, but if you were, you know, on a date, like what's the spiel you say about yourself? It's like, it's like how many of your interesting stories can you get in at the beginning? So it's like, let's <gasps> I'm a talk. cool, interesting person. I'm a I'm cool, cool, interesting person. So it's like, what cool, interesting facts about me can I get out really early on? So it's like, but without sounding like a d bag too, right? Like right, without being really like, I'm obsessed with myself. Really hard. But it's like, uh, like I've lived abroad. That's an interesting thing that I'm like, oh, this is a thing that I can talk about. And that's like a, it says something about me, right? <laughs> so it's yeah, like, to- oh, like totally. get that in. That's in. And then it's like, uh, what, like, what other things might you want to know about me? Like, what's, you know, then you like, you talk a bit about your family and a bit about your friends. And then that's like, that's it. But like, I feel like it's like one or two top facts that make me sound interesting. (laughs) I always, what I was doing when I first moved back to Portland, when I first moved back, I was going on a lot of dates and I found myself like listing off my, where I'd been living as like a resume almost because in the last whatever five years I've lived in two major cities in the US and three or four countries um and I probably should have just said that like I was working internationally and then I moved back to the US but instead I would kind of list it off I'd be like yeah then I was in Ecuador then Bolivia then Malawi da, da, da. and I was like trying to sh- like be understood or something but people that's really hard for people to relate to You know, that's really hard for people to understand. And like, what am I trying to prove by like listing off my recent mailing addresses? I was like, (laughs) oh, God, you know, like what is uh, I just I just kind of caught myself one time and was like, this is not working. Try again. You could have told stories about owning tarantulas and just made up a narrative. Just (laughs) gone the other way because it works for this woman. It does. It works out. And I mean, I can't say like oh, I have a podcast because what's what's worse than someone on a first date being like, well, do you want to listen to my podcast? <laughs> I mean, not this podcast because it's incredible. Yeah, for anyone. Yeah. <laughs> Anyways, back to tarantulas. Thank you for trying to get us back to the story. Just trying to pull us on back. Well, I did look up some of the facts that she, she talked about because she said she was like um, born at 9,000 feet on a mountain in Tasmania. Don't worry, Jen. I looked up the highest point in Tasmania. It's Mount osa it's only five thousand feet incredible so, you know um lies on top of lies lies on top of lies and then i actually looked up what the diaper was called for sumo wrestlers too because i just thought that was a random she's like i was born in tasmania then my boyfriend was a sumo wrestler and i like tarantulas um but did you know that those loincloths they're called mawashi um when they're unrolled are 30 feet long wow <laughs> Wow, that's incredible. Made of silk. They're made of silk. That's also, that's lovely. I would imagine that the folding and sort of tucking and tying of that is intricate and something that you kind of have to kind of really learn. Yeah, I no, I imagine so too. And I just mm. wondered, I was thinking about if someone, you know, clearly at the end of the story, 
the the guy she's on a date with um is kind of calling her out on her lies like and i wonder but he seemed to he seemed to not be dissuaded by that he seems to be kind of charmed by the fact that she just kind of decided to make up a more interesting story to 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 make the night more interesting i love the fact that he he yeah he calls her out on it but also like he's in it straight away like he gets it right from the top because he immediately yeah. lies and said he has a tarantula as well <laughs> so which obviously we, Very don't, charming. We, don't find, we don't find out till the end but like it's so interesting because they go on this date and they really don't connect she is not well it seems that they don't connect she is not into it at all and then with one text he turns that ship around and it's suddenly super charming. You have to get through the first date. You just have to power through. It's always going to be a car crash. This is what I feel like we learned from this story. Mm-hmm. Like you get through the first date and then if somebody can send you a charming text, then you're excited. Like, isn't yeah. that weird? Yeah, it's the charming text. It's something surprising to her. He surprises her with that. And that yeah. kind of breaks this narrative in her head about how it's going to go. And she allows herself like a little crack in the armor of admit that you found him the littlest bit attractive. See from the dots that he's still typing, but do not respond yet. Not yet. And it's just a little, a little chink in the armor of, Oh, maybe I could like this person. And you think she will respond. Yeah. Yeah. And then, you know, obviously the title of the story is this is how you fail to ghost him. And it's, you know, so we know that, she does respond like we uh, we can understand that she does respond and that this is exciting all of a sudden and as you say it's that chink in the armor it's that allowing yourself to be vulnerable and and think that this could could be something um and it's it's just an interesting i think the thing about this story that i that i enjoyed is just it's this tiny slice of life but it feels so relatable and so understandable from that perspective of like just going on these kind of this endless stream of of first internet dates and kind of what you need to do to fucking survive you know if you're <laughs> if you're in that and i like that we on un- i like that we get that she's not a kind of we get that moment where she talks about the fairy tale and the twinkling lights but ultimately like she's just out in the world and like protecting herself and trying to get through another tinder date and getting pissed off with the apps and not really into these guys she's meeting like I, it's just interesting and real and i i like that we yeah. sit with her for a minute in it yeah incredibly relatable content and i i think when i was reading it i was like wow she's not even participating in the state you know she's really just watching it um and kind of judging him much like the experience of being on the apps just judging the photos judging the responses um but you're right it's a way to keep herself safe and keep yourself going. And I think that dating apps are kind of the way that people date now. I mean, at least that's how I've met my last few partners. Um, and it is, you kind of have to wade through it, but there, she just captures how demoralizing it can be, but then with a little spark of hope at the end. Thank you for reading with me, Lizzie. Thanks for reading with me, Jen. (laughs) 